0: Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 374 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, today's episode is brought to you by ICM. You can check out their free report, Five Ways Churches Transform Communities, by going to icm.org forward slash transform communities. And by ServeHQ, you can learn more about ServeHQ's Homeschool Magnet. Everybody's doing it. They've got a new student experience. Go to homeschoolmagnet.com. Join the growing wait list. Well, I am so thrilled to have Anne Graham-Lotz on the podcast. She is often called the best preacher in the family. That's what her father, Billy Graham, called her. She is an international speaker, best-selling and award-winning author of numerous books, and she's the president of Angel Ministries in Raleigh, North Carolina, and the former chairperson for the National Day of Prayer Task Force. We talk about all kinds of things, including some background stories on her family I did not know, um, some really encouraging stuff. And then also about the struggle with prayer. I don't know about you, but you know, I pray every day, but I, I do not claim to be a professional at it. So um, if that's, uh, I know that seems to be the story for a lot of leaders. Uh, I think you're going to really enjoy today's episode. I want to say thank you to all of you who are listening. Thank you for sharing this episode. Thanks for subscribing. And for those of you who are new, welcome. So glad to have you. And uh, man it's just great to be able to do this together. I'm such an audiophile. I listen to podcasts, I listen to audiobooks and one of my favorite things about the audio format is it doesn't need your full attention, right? I don't know what you're doing right now whether you're on a run, whether you're at the gym, if gyms are open in your area, <laughs> whether in my case I'm on a bike ride a lot when I'm listening or even mowing the lawn, right? Or raking leaves it's fall. Uh, that's what I love about the audio format. So anyway, really glad to have you here. Thanks so much for making this such a rich experience. I do love hearing from you, and thanks for leaving ratings and reviews as well. So, uh, you ever been challenged with the question, "What value does the church try to bring to a local community?" Maybe you're asking that question in this COVID season, as you know, some you couldn't meet in person for a while, and maybe some of you are still not meeting well. Uh, We live in a very skeptical culture, and you got to have an answer for that. But where do you go to find solid, data-informed answers? Well, ICM, our friends at International Cooperating Ministries, have a solution. Uh, They're the global church developer for over 30 years and have been working to help churches around the world with discipleship tools and permanent facilities for worship and outreach. So they've built, get this, almost 10,000 church buildings, helped plant an additional 25,000 churches in 100 countries, And so they put everything they know about the impact of the local church in a short report called Five Ways Churches Transform Communities. It's available to you for free. So if you're trying, sometimes it's really good just to get an outside perspective So you can see, oh, yeah, we probably are making a lot of these differences. So you can get that for free by going to icm.org forward slash transform communities. That's icm.org forward slash transform communities. And you'll get the report, Five Ways Churches, Transform Communities, absolutely free. And then homeschooling. Wow, that's a thing. I know a whole bunch of parents who are like, well, I guess we're homeschoolers now. And um, so our partner, Serve HQ, has got something That they want to share with you. Homeschool Magnet is their new offering. It supports homeschool families by providing students with instruction, get this, from world-class credentialed teachers in a remote classroom with their peers. So parents choose the best teachers for each student based on values and teaching approach to ensure every child is receiving exactly the education they desire. And that puts you as the parent in control without the daily responsibilities of lesson planning, pre-learning, teaching, tutoring, grading, Each student gets instructions in four core subject areas, math, English, language arts, science, and social studies, but you as a parent have the ultimate freedom to involve your student in as much or as little learning as you choose. Homeschool Magnet's a fraction of the cost of private schools. They got a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you want to find out what it's all about, go to homeschoolmagnet.com and join the growing waitlist. So, so excited to have Ann Graham Lotz on the podcast today. And without further ado, let us dive into today's conversation. Ann, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad and honored to have you today.
1: Thank you, Carrie. It's my privilege, my pleasure.
0: Yeah. And so much has changed in my lifetime, your lifetime, and certainly your father's lifetime. I'd love to start just by uh, talking about the things that have changed and the things that haven't changed. So you teach the Bible, you have a message. What's changed in all of this? And then what are you seeing changing? I'd, I'd love just to to start with sort of the camera lens back a little bit on this conversation.
1: Well, change uh, from from my father's generation. Yeah, so sure. We can start there. And, yeah. um, and I think in my father's generation, um, in the 50s and the 60s, even the 70s, um, and I, I could be wrong, Carrie, but I feel like there was more of a God got more attention, more respect, mm. um, more more time. And uh, people were more involved in, um, you know, just look at daddy's stadium meetings. You yeah. know, where you got hundreds of thousands of people coming. And really, I don't know what revival would look like if it wasn't, you know, Times Square packed out or... Um, you know, the stadiums packed out or uh, some of the things that that took place. It was phenomenal, and people giving their hearts to Christ. And and then somewhere, Carrie, between, I guess, daddy's generation and mine and the next one, the fire that was lit um, seems to have grown dim. Mm. And, and I don't know why that is. Um, I have a daughter and three granddaughters, and one of the things that we are very— um, engaged in right now is trying to get the the focus of young parents to pass on the truth that leads to faith in God's word to their children because I think a lot of Christian parents they leave it up to church or leave it up to school and if the if they don't get it there then they don't get it at home then then these kids um, it's like the person I spoke to this morning that said she's 28 and she so many of people in her generation base their philosophy, their decisions on emotion, but they don't know the truth. And so, the enemy can exchange the truth for a lie and a lie for truth, but if you don't know what the truth is, you don't even know you've been deceived, you know? So, mm. so I feel like uh, there's a falling away from the truth and a falling away from God's Word, and I'm speaking within the organized church, and I know there's some yeah. great churches, and I uh, praise God for them, but but I'm speaking generally Across the board, there's a falling away from the truth of God's Word as though we can take it or leave it. In fact, I almost think that sometimes we act um, like practical atheists, as though God really isn't there, and He's really not involved, and He's really not going to intervene, and He's not really going to hold us accountable, and He won't really keep His promises, and His Word isn't, you know, you're just not sure it's true, and it's for another time. It's just... It's stunning, and and that's attitude within the church. So that's a difference between I think my father's generation that took God more seriously, and and I think my generation. I've seen, you know, a lot of my friends who take God's word seriously. But when it comes to the next generation, and the next generation, somehow we're not passing it on. We're we're losing the next generation, and and um, I don't so much point my fingers at the church although I do but it's but I I look at the home and I look at the mm. parents and they may be saying one thing but if they're not living it the kids won't buy it.
0: It's you know you have a rare window or we have a rare window in this interview this time together to think about your own spiritual formation and I always write questions this one isn't on the list but if you're open I'd love to know about spiritual formation in your home. I mean, you grew up as the daughter of Billy and Ruth Graham, and you know, your dad was changing through God was using him to change lives throughout the world. But I'd love to know, like, what were your earliest impressions of faith from the time you were a little girl?
1: You know, the and it's hard to pull out one impression, but I can tell you this, Carrie that my parents were the same behind closed doors as they were in public mm-hmm. they genuinely loved jesus served jesus obeyed jesus wanted to grow in their knowledge of jesus uh, their obedience to jesus that was not that was not ministry that was not for a platform that was who they were they were both my mother and father and my grandparents actually my mother's parents had been missionaries to china and my Father's uh, parents were from Charlotte, but my granddaddy started the rescue missions and uh, did some other things, prayed that God would raise up an evangelist from the next generation from Charlotte, never knowing it would come from his own family. <laughs> so so there is a, you know, they, they're genuine, they're authentic yeah. in their faith. And so that probably would be the greatest impression. But I'll tell you two things, aspects um, of what my parents passed down to me that that has sort of crystallized, I guess, in the last few years, but, but my mother, um, I went to public schools, and every morning before school, she would gather anybody who was in the house into the kitchen, and she would have prayer and Bible reading, and I never liked it because I was always in a rush, trying to find my books, trying to get out the door. I didn't want to be late. I had the tests you know, coming, and, and, but what she taught me by her example was the necessity of daily Bible reading, daily prayer. When my daddy was home, he led the devotions at night, and he would open the Bible, and he would read a little bit, and then we would talk about it, you know? Mm. And uh, my mother would get so fed up because daddy would just get carried away, and I loved it. And what my daddy taught me was, you you need to think about what you're reading. You know, it's not just that you read it and check it off so that you can say you read your Bible today, but you want to read it and and process, um, think through what you've just read, and the combination of that has stayed with me. Um, where I read my Bible every day, but and actually, this is the first year I've, I'm reading the, fir- the one-year Bible, which I actually don't like because I'm just reading to check it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I know those boxes get addicting, man, don't know,
1: they? September, yeah. and I've just got a few more months to go. But um, but in the morning, I get up and I just take a little paragraph of verses and ask myself, what does it say? And I list the facts. What do the facts mean? I take the facts and turn them into a lesson that I would want to learn, and then take the lesson and put it in the form of a question I would ask myself, so that I'm thinking through what God says and listening for God's voice to speak to me personally. And then whatever He says, I have to do. You know, I follow through. And sometimes it's a command. Sometimes it's a promise. Sometimes it's an encouragement. Sometimes it's a warning. Um, But it's amazing the things that He has Impressed on my heart in the morning like that, but it, but I go back to my daddy's example of reading the word and um, and thinking about what I've read, so that I don't just check it off. Although I, I love my mother's example, nobody loved her Bible as much as my mother, and um, but it was just that regimen of the morning devotions when I was trying to pack up for school that that didn't resonate with me. But the habit stayed, and and the fact that you spend early morning time. I do every day, um, but I read it to read my Bible to think about what I've read. Um, and, my, and I'll tell you this, my mother, in the fly leaf of my first real Bible, when I was baptized at the age of nine, she and daddy gave me a Bible, navy blue leather Schofield edition, King James Version, you know. And, uh, but in the front, she said, "Anne," she said, this is your one sure God in an unsure world. She said, read it, study it, love it live by it and that you'll find a verse for every occasion. And um and I've that was when I was nine and I've taken her counsel and um believe it it was the wisest counsel she could have given me. It is I'm 72 and it has been a foundation for my whole life. So so um you know I praise God for the home in which He placed me. And I'm sure there are many other things, Carrie, that have impressed me, informed me and you know, but but those are the ones that stand out.
0: Thank you for letting us see that. Um, I think we do have a lot of young parents, a lot of young leaders listening. So there's a lot of parallels. They're trying to do what your mom and dad did with you and with your siblings. And it's interesting, you were saying, I forget whether this was before we recorded or since the the mic was on, but that uh, people make emotional decisions today. And you know, as a dad myself, my kids are in their 20s now. I remember doing family devotions when nobody was into family devotions. And you would assume... That you know in Billy graham's house, everyone's going to sit there and pay attention, and the whole deal. Can you speak to um you know that that tension of like trying to not not getting discouraged? I'm sure your parents were very discouraged you weren't they they didn't always have an attentive audience, did they at times well,
1: um i don't think I never knew that they were discouraged if they were because mm. they weren't trying to i don't think they were trying to impart something to me they were it was who they were and they were sharing it with me yeah. you know so yeah. one of the things that I did uh, my husband and I did in our home which I don't know if it would help but but our family devotions we had um, at dinner time over the supper table so so it wasn't a set aside time with the kids when they needed to get into homework and my kids are all athletes and so they're all in sports and everything but but even when we were um, you know in the, the thrust of a season, I tried to make sure that at least every night we came together for dinner. And some that took a lot of planning and organizing, but um and and there's sometimes in a basketball season or something, depending on when the games are you couldn't do that. But sure. but the rule in our home was that we came together once a day for dinner. And as we had dinner, we would take a just a verse or two and discuss it. And so it was um it wasn't something that they had to do. It was just it was part of our conversation. And you know, Carrie, now my children my son is 50, my, my girls are um, 48, 45, and now I've got three grandchildren who are teenagers, uh, 18, 17, and 14. And that's the way we still do our family time. Mm. So when they come, and they we, we love to eat, and I love to cook, and so you know, we have all these wonderful family dinners, um, and then we pull out God's Word, and then I'll share a verse or two with them, and we'll discuss it, and and um, and it's really precious. And all of my children, and my grandchildren, they love the Lord. They love the Word. They love to read it. And it's not because they have to. It's because through the Word, they know God. And they come into that. They draw closer to His heart. They know Him. He, my, my granddaughters know how to pray, get answers to prayer. They've led some of their friends to Christ. It's, um, you know, it's um, if I could just say once once again, the, the most important thing you can do is to be authentic yourself. Hmm. You, you cannot pass along your faith to your children um, if it's not genuine. If, if Jesus isn't first in your heart in life, you I don't think you can pass it on to them. and um, Or it would be very difficult because then you're passing on a religion. You know, you're, you're yeah. passing on.
0: I think sometimes you pass on who you actually are, not who you think you are or say you are. Your kids can tell. They can yeah. tell. I, I get that. Uh, interesting, you know, just thank you for being so personal. Uh, I really appreciate it. But you're, you're, a lot of leaders are listening, and they struggle with the same things you did, your husband did, trying to raise a family. They're on the road a lot. They've got a busy life. Your dad was gone a lot, uh, traveling around the world, winning people to Jesus. And often you hear stories, Gordon McDonald, who I'm sure you know, ordering your private world. Gordon's been on this podcast a few times, and he talks about the, the predominant image of his father he had is his dad walking away from him heading to the church. And it's a very deep wound. Now, Gordon obviously has served the Lord very faithfully for many years, but I'm just wondering how how have you learned or how did you learn growing up to handle that tension of having parents who were very busy and a dad who was off and away or even in your own situation with your kids? Because that's a very real tension for a lot of leaders. I have some regrets from my 30s where I wish I was home more.
1: Oh, sure. I, I don't. I think we would be dishonest as a parent if we didn't say we had no regrets. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, well, I'd be <laughs> lying. So. Oh,
1: my goodness. I'll look back and just God's grace, you know, mm. because I made so many mistakes. There's so many things I wish I could do differently. But but to go back to your question, um, my mother was very wise. And when my daddy left home, I never watched him walk out the door that I can remember. She, I would come back from school, mother, where is daddy, well, he's gone, whatever, but she— she made—there um, was no big deal of Daddy leaving at all. Now, I'll take that back. I know I took him to the airport a couple of times mm. when I was a teenager. But um, but basically, she ignored his goings, but his comings were a big deal. Oh. So as a little girl, we'd go down the train station. I'd put pennies on the track and have the train smash him when it came through. And then Daddy would greet us as he came down. He always had a prize for us in his suitcase or something. He just picked up in the airport somewhere. But but his his comings were— celebrated, his goings were sort of ignored. And I think that was a wise thing. Mm. The other thing, um, if Daddy had been a politician, or if he'd been a businessman, I think I might have had resentment. Um, But because he was doing what he was doing with all of his heart, um, I gave him up for that purpose. It was... um, You know, I feel like it's one of the, it was one of the things, as I got older, I could articulate it this way, just one of the things I would lay down before Jesus so that it was an act of worship to give daddy up. And even in my heart, you know, um, and God seemed to respond to that in Psalm 2710, it says, um, when your mother and father forsake you, the Lord will take you up. And daddy didn't forsake me, but he was gone it's estimated sixty percent of my growing up years and but I believe the Lord took me up so that I have a a relationship with the Lord God that I wouldn't have had I had a father you know like like my my husband was to our children so if, if daddy hmm. you know had a nine to five job and he was there every night and every morning and you know but but he was gone for weeks sometimes months at a time, but I believe the Lord just stepped in. And my Heavenly Father became um, very personal, very real to me, and, um, and I think that made up the difference. And I'm going to tell you, honestly, that I can understand Gordon MacDonald because there are wounds, and I know my siblings have had wounds, and I'll let them talk about it themselves, you know, but, I, but for, for me, I found, if, if I was wounded, I found my healing, at the cross and I found my healing when I saw how much God loved me that he would give Jesus to take away my sin and come live within me in the person of his spirit never to leave nor forsake me to guide me through life and um and it's been a I've had a very personal intimate relationship with the Lord for I guess since my baptism at nine mm. you know I can um I, I didn't stray from him I haven't rebelled I've just been in love with Jesus ever since I can remember, and i I can't get enough of his word. I still love His word because through His word, I hear him speaking to me, you know I, and um and I want to live my life for his glory so i so I say all that um, just to say that that who you are um, in your own relationship with God, I think is what your children watch. My mother has a little quip, I'll tell you this. She said. That you can't teach your children to enjoy spinach if every time they see you eating yours you gag. <laughs> and in other words, if you know kids get it, they they watch you in the home, and if you're not really loving Jesus, loving the Word, if they don't catch you on your knees in prayer, uh, if they don't overhear you sharing the gospel with a neighbor, you know they're going to get the message that this isn't real. This is just put on for others, and um, and they're going to reject it.
0: And I, 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 this is a fascinating direction. And um, I imagine that people are thinking, wow, that's wonderful that it's true. Number two, I hope that's true. And number three, it's really rare. And how does that happen? Because almost everybody's got wounds and I'm sure you have some too, but like to actually, do you know how that deep relationship with God formed when you were a child? It's just a really fascinating thing. I think that's what a lot of us want for our kids. And I think a lot of people have the story of either didn't have it and found it or had it, kind of lost it, went through a period of rebellion, and then rekindled it at some other point in life. I'd love to know how that was nurtured in you, either through things you did, God did, your family did. and Because that's a really wonderful story.
1: Well, there are two things that come to my mind. One is that I have been so wounded, Carrie, that I've written a whole book yeah. on wounded, and it's called Wounded by God's People. And, and I go through there. It's maybe four years old. It took me four years to write, very hard to write. And I go through, and I don't list all the wounds because I don't want to wound people. You know, wo- wounded people are wounders.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, uh, but I understand wounds, but I don't live there. The way to freedom and peace is through forgiveness. But we have to at least within the church, forgive each other and love each other and move on. and so when when you're wounded, you just I, I believe there is healing. In fact, Crawford Laritz, uh, who's a good friend, he said that you know when Jesus came to the upstairs room uh, after the resurrection, and he showed his hands in his side, and Thomas was there, and he said, "Put your hands and you know and, and touch my wounds whatever and And Crawford said that what Jesus was showing them was that wounds can heal quickly. Mm-hmm. You know he had just been crucified, but but wounds don't have to take decades to wound you you can be You can be healed quickly, but but I think you have to be willing to release the wound in in forgiveness of that person, and then on top of that do something to bless the person who's wounded you. And um, so I've I've gotten a whole, I've written a whole book on that. So I understand wounds, but I think also, um, and this is something, you know, I don't know how God, you know, it's just God's grace, isn't it, that he works in our lives like he does. Um, and I But I know I had grandparents on both sides, um, my mother's parents and my father's parents who prayed for me. Mm. and my mother and daddy prayed for me and um and and for whatever reason god in his grace just drew me to himself and um you know and I, I can't i can't i don't know that i can analyze that i would just encourage parents that god loves your children more than you do he wants them to love him mm. more than you want them to love him and you set the example you Put him first in your heart and life, and then you pray and pray and pray, you know that God would quicken them, that the Holy Spirit would just soften their hearts and bring things to their minds, they would match it with what they see in your life um and and Jesus is alive, and God is real, and the Bible is true um so you're not just teaching them, and I keep using the word religion, which to me is mm. us. Yeah. God, but it, you can't, you know. But but people substitute religion for the relationship that God offers through faith in Jesus. So, so each person has their own choice, and that would be. I also wrote a little book called The Daniel Key, mm. which is just the choices that Daniel made. It's amazing when you go through his book, you know, because he was probably a young teenager when yeah. he was taken into captivity in Babylon, and then you see it, the first choice that we're aware of was when he chose not to defile himself with the king's food and. And choice after choice after choice after choice he made, um, so that in the end <laughs> he's maybe one of the greatest you know men uh, in the Old Testament, um, certainly one of the great prophets and and so choices are um, to be taken very seriously and you know uh, um, and it's crushing as a parent when we see our children make wrong choices and I have a child who's made some really wrong choices, and and I have, and it's very hard to see a child on the brink, and you call them back from it, and they just go right on over. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, um, but then you just, you know, so, so my heart has been broken many times um, just over choices that um, one of my children in particular has made, but I've also seen God's grace to redeem And to restore all three of my children now, serve the Lord, uh, involved in sharing the gospel, one-on-one, lead Bible studies. And um, so I'm very thankful, but it's been a journey, I can tell you. Mm. So I feel like for for us, the choices that—well, for me, but the choices that I made from the time I was baptized to start reading God's Word, to start serving Him, to start sharing who He is with my friends, to, you know, all of that. And (laughs) then— I met my husband when I was 17, Carrie. I married when I was 18, he was 29. Yeah. So, um and that was a choice at the time that my mother and daddy fully supported. Um but but my husband Danny lots, you know, took over when I was 18 and he's such a strong man of God. He hmm. was a leader's leader. And so I think a lot of my you know, formation. We started a Bible study together when we were uh, newlyweds and offered them to the athletes uh, at the University of North Carolina. So every Sunday night, we had the guys in. I'd fix them an apple pie or a pound cake, and they'd come and we'd discuss the scriptures. And And my husband was, a, he was just a strong leader. He came from a pastor's home in New York City. And um, so that, I know that had a lot of, um, just my relationship with my husband and who he who he was, and the father he was to our children had great impact on me. His family was fabulous. I told him I'd marry him the first time for love, the second time for love, and for his family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the Lots family.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, that's great. Anything else on either your family or your family of origin? It's just been, I'm so grateful for the way you've just kind of opened up. It's uh, it's It's wonderful to see what what God was doing in your formation. Anything else that might be surprising? It's like, yeah, people may not know this about uh, either your parents or growing up or your family.
1: Um, I don't know. One thing that comes to mind yeah. is um, my father was uh, very affectionate. And so for fathers out there who have daughters, you know, my, my daddy, when he was... In his eighties, even ninety still pulled me down on his lap, you know would still I would go up to the house to see him and it would be when he was on a walker and he couldn't walk down the hall anymore, but he would sit in his chair and he'd just throw out his arms and and hold me for a while you know he he loved he would hold my hand and you would kiss my hand and kiss my cheek he he was um and I say that because even though I met Danny at seventeen and I'm uh, married at eighteen. <laughs> which seems like I was anxious to get out of the home. I wasn't, and I wasn't ever boy crazy. I wasn't, you know, because I felt like I had my father's love and attention. And my father knew how to give me his full attention, even though he had many things on his mind, I'm sure. And, and um, you know, now as I'm older, I know more of what he was involved in. But but he he developed a relationship with me. And, and I'll tell you, one of the things he did— um, we both love dogs. Actually, we love animals, but dogs. And um, so he always made sure I had a dog. And uh, and when I had a dog, you know, dive pneumonia, I had a dog dive, a snake bite, I had a dog that turned mean and had to be. Gut- but Daddy would go with me to get the next dog. You know, so that we. So it was one of the joys of my life was um, when he turned. Uh, well, actually, it was the year my mother went to heaven, and for their anniversary, which was a couple of months after her funeral, I, I gave him a big golden retriever, and um, and it was so fun for me to be able to give him a dog after you know a lifetime of him giving me dogs. And but we shared that we we loved dogs, we loved our animals, we loved to hike. Uh, every Sunday afternoon, we'd hike up to the ridge, and so he. So I'm trying to say he. He found common ground with me. He found things that he could do with me so that I felt special. I felt loved by him. I, I didn't feel like one of the bunch. You know, uh, I was one of the bunch, but, but uh, he made me somehow feel, when we'd go out to supper, he, he would hold my hand as we walked down the street. And then of course, as I got older, he introduced me to the elevator operators and the hotel clerks and everybody, this is my daughter, this is my daughter, this is my daughter. And I realized later why Why he was doing all that, because he was so um, so affectionate and demonstrative, and um, and it was very precious. And so, to this day, I miss my daddy's hugs and kisses and conversations. Um, One day soon, maybe I'll see him again. So
0: it sounds like he was very when he was home. He was home. He was focused. He was. Is that is that so?
1: No. uh, Well. focus he when I was growing up he we came home and he went on the golf course. So oh, okay. He, that was the way he relaxed. So and I never he never invited me on the golf course with him. Now my I don't think I don't know about my siblings, my brothers maybe, but um but I know I never that was his get o you know getaway That's time. his way to unwind.
0: Um, so he'd just go play some golf. Gotcha.
1: Yeah, but he but when he was with me, um and, and I guess maybe the you know, he was back in his study, but if I would go back to interrupt him, he would give me his attention. Mm-hmm. And um, so so I think that the, it, it wasn't um, focused the entire time he was home on his children. It was just when he was with me, I felt that I had his full attention. Whether we're hiking, whether we're doing something with the dogs, whether I went back to interrupt him about something, whether... Um,
0: no, I get you know, what you're like, saying too. And and I think that's an increasing challenge for people today, particularly because our devices, you know, we're in a room, but we're not really in a room. You're exactly paying attention right. to your daughter, but you're not really paying attention to your daughter. So, you know, just the way you described him, I thought there was someone who wasn't like, don't bug me. I'm in the middle of writing a sermon or exactly something like right. that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm taking notes. Okay, <laughs> that's good.
1: Well, those phones, you know, all my grandchildren, they come, they're not allowed to have them at the table mm. because they all sit there and they're just, I don't know what it is. I've got a phone, but I, I, I don't, I'm not glued to it like that, but they are glued to it. And mm. um, so for a parent to be glued to it and not give your children attention or tell them to put their phone down and you put your phone down and you give them your full attention, I think that's, you're missing something. And uh, the kids will find the attention from somewhere in somebody, but... Um, well yeah, I think illness. I think what I'm
0: picking up here and is I mean some of those stories are 50 60 years old and they're still impacting you as a woman at this stage in life like you know and and our stories do that they impact us for better or for worse and you are blessed to have a lot of for better stories that you're able to share, which is which is wonderful.
1: Well, I've got some worse ones, but I'm not going to tell them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't we all? Don't we all? Yeah. Um, man, things have changed a lot. And your father, well, is a household name for the stadiums he filled, etc. Uh, I want you to reflect a little bit just on how um, maybe sharing the message has changed. The message hasn't changed, but the methods maybe have changed a little bit. Any comments for leaders who are trying to do what you do, teach the Bible, any advice you would give them, given where our culture has moved?
1: You know, I think um, the methods have changed dramatically since March. Yeah. And um, and I was talking uh, to my daughter about this yesterday, and my youngest daughter is just a terrific little Bible teacher, and she's been teaching seven years, a group of women over University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And now they've had to go by Zoom. You know, they're doing it by Zoom. But but the potential for her Bible study that she's been teaching, she had maybe 70 or 80 women in it. But but now the potential is to um, grow way beyond that. She had a girl join from Brazil. She had coaches' wives from Waco, Texas. She had coaches' wives from the Colts. She had a group from Minnesota. I mean, they're just, you know, so that, so... Um, but her Bible teaching is uh, solid. It's exposition. It's um, it's she did Genesis one. She's starting in Genesis, and she just did Genesis one, teaching about the Creator and who He is, and and the impact um, it has on our lives today. What it means that um, in the beginning God created everything, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep, and God said, you know, and what does that mean? And and it's it's um, it's thrilling because she has a whole I mean, from girls who are eighteen, in fact, two of her daughters are in it, so they're seventeen and eighteen all the way up to women who are in their eighties or maybe even ninety in fact, my other daughter's nine year old neighbor joined yesterday for the first time and Fantastic. um so the so the the method of getting it out, I think zoom you know the lockdown to me carrie <laughs> has been a blessing hmm. been a huge blessing. I have loved being at home I've gotten more work done i without the traveling and the packing up and unpacking all that crazy stuff. And, and, for instance, I did a message for the India-Asia diaspora, and the guy that asked me to do it had been on the committee when I went to Hyderabad two years ago and spoke to the National Day of Prayer. And, um, and he's put this thing on. He said, normally they have, it's an annual conference, they have a 1,000 um, but this time they put it on Zoom, and so he booked it for a thousand, and he had um, that booked out, and then he opened up to three thousand, that booked out. Then he just put it live on Facebook and YouTube, and it just went viral. And so, so that's you know what, what the enemy means for evil, God means for good. And the lockdown is like putting us all in home churches, and if we're just creative and think of how we can use the technology to. Um, you know, get God's Word out. Just make sure you're giving out God's Word, you know, and I think it should be relevant. So um, I was in a church once with a young pastor who never, ever related what he was teaching. He was a good little preacher, but never related what he was teaching to what we were reading in our newspapers, what was happening in our city. And it was just so disconnected, you know. And now I'm listening to a pastor who uh, takes the world events, and he just brings them right home and tells you what time it is. And, you know, you just— it's like he's on fire, but it, but it makes it so relevant. Um So I think the God's word doesn't change, mm. and I think giving it out, um, you know, learn to to present God's word. I, my desire is that I would give out God's word so that people, never mind a and lots, but they would want to hear they would hear God speaking through the message, and and that's a work of the Holy Spirit, but He works through the Word of God. Um, so. So, but I've loved, you know, the Zoom, the videos. Um, I just did a video. of The Jerusalem Prayer Breakfast has decided to go virtual this year. They're going to have it live. Two years ago, I spoke uh, at the Jerusalem Prayer Breakfast four times, and um, and this year, just uh, last week, the Albert Vexler, who's uh, the president in charge of it, asked me if I would just. Bring a greeting and a message for this year's virtual event. So I've already done that. Send it to them by video. They can put it in the way they want. You know. Um, so, so to me, sitting right here where I am talking to you, God has opened up the whole world. And um, so I just thank Him. I, at my age and all my health things, I, I thank the Lord. I'm where I am today. But. He's made it easier on me physically mm. <laughs> to still do ministry, you know. But um, so, so my methods, my, my teaching has not changed. Right. Um, applications, of course, do. But, but the method of getting it out is um, incredible. And so I just, you know, praise God. And I'll tell you this, um, if we can watch what God's doing in our lives and not get so fixed on the way we've always done it. Um, Mm. When my husband um, began to get, um, his health was declining. He had adult one diabetes and he was on dialysis and had been for three years. And then I just saw him declining to the point I didn't want to leave him anymore. And then I felt God spoke to me from Isaiah 26 that I was to come inside and close the door. And I knew he was telling me that I was to stay home with my husband. So I'm I made sure I finished out my commitments that year. I, I canceled everything else. I, I didn't accept any more engagements. I just stayed home to take care of my husband. But at the same time, God impressed on me that he wasn't moving me out of ministry. So then it's like, all right, so if I'm going to stay home, take care of my husband, how do I do ministry without being on the road? So, so we gave our attention to radio so that I have radio spots, you know, sprinkled all over every day, and then a radio program once a week, a 30-minute radio program, and then social media. And we hired a social media person who has, you know, helps me with the Instagram, Facebook, um, all that kind of stuff, so that it's, so it's incredible. We're all poised so that my husband went to heaven five years ago, and, um, but, but during that three-year period, as we were building our social media presence, and then when he went to heaven, and then When I um, was diagnosed with cancer, I had a platform out there that was, um, you know, we had been building and uh, and it was amazing so that there wasn't transition sort of, you know, I'm still doing what I've always done, but now social media, Zoom videos, um, audios just help you do what you've always done, but without the
0: running around (laughs) yeah they're running around i I flew 150 i'm sure nothing compared to what you've done over your life but i flew over 100,000 miles last year doing speaking and being grounded for six months it's uh it's actually been incredible i want to talk about that a little bit how this how you're going to do things differently health being let's just assume that's not a factor but you could go back to normal there's a vaccine because one thing you're, you're touching on is something a lot of guests have touched on this year. We had Nikki Gumbel on who was totally opposed to virtual alpha until COVID. And now he's like, I think it's the best thing ever. Like people are coming to faith. Like he said, I, I was converted. And uh, if you look at a lot of people would say about your father's ministry, I've read this from numerous things, that your dad was one of the first people to take advantage of mass media, right? Like television and radio and the ability not only in stadiums, but also through broadcasting to reach millions of people around the world and who did so effectively. You know, the Reformation happened because in large measure, the grace of God, but also the printing press. And the first um, expansion of the New Testament church, the gospel in New Testament times was facilitated by Roman roads. If Roman roads, the printing press, mass media, and now you have the internet, which many would say is much bigger than even television or radio. I would agree with that. Um, how, and yet a lot of pastors are just running back to try to open the buildings and going, I don't know about that whole online thing. So we're trying to address that on this podcast and, and through the things I do. What would, all things being equal, let's assume there's a vaccine, you can jump on a plane, you can go anything. Would you change your approach based on what you know now uh, since March, 2020? Would you say, oh, perhaps we could have a bigger impact. Would you go back to normal? What, what would you do uh, when the world recalibrates?
1: Uh, you know, this is hard to explain. Yeah. But um, I don't set my agenda. I don't decide uh, where I'm going, how I'm going to do ministry. I just truly carry, follow Jesus. Okay. So if he tells me um, that, and I want you to speak it, you know, whatever, and it's going to be in New York City in two months, I'll be there. Like I'm, I'm going to Washington D.C you know next week um for the return and and I've really wrestled with him over that because I wasn't sure with all the unrest in the streets and the covid and all that if I was supposed to be on the mall for this big event but but he's just in my spirit he's let me know that's where he wants me to be so that's where I'm going to be and um so I don't I don't predetermine that I'm not going to go here or I'll stop traveling there or I'm going to go right back to you know Getting on a plane and going to wherever, the the invitations come in. I prayerfully go over them. Um, I turn down probably nine out of every ten, you yeah. know. But but then the ones you feel your spirit is quickened and you feel like God would have you do, then a, a lot of them this year, in fact, almost all of them have gone virtual. You know, where I was booked yeah. for a governor's prayer breakfast or um, special events, or and and they've just gone virtual. So so I've been able to do for them what. Um, i 'd promise to do, but just by video or by a live stream so so i'll just i 'll take it as the Lord gives it to me i I genuinely want to serve him, and i don 't want to make up a ministry for myself do you know what i mean Yeah, that's so that really we,
0: fair I appreciate that
1: so i i just i don 't have any goals i don 't have any agendas people say, and where are you going to be five years from now? I have no idea you know? <laughs> <laughs> i hope i 'm I hope I'm in heaven because I hope Jesus is coming back. But um, but I but I just sort of live my life, if if I can say sort of loosely, and just follow him where he leads. I do. I'll tell you this: when I make a commitment, um, I don't make a commitment until a year in advance. But when I make the commitment, I keep it.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. And um, the exception to that was when I made commitments and then I was diagnosed with cancer and I had to cancel that whole. Stream of things, but everybody understood. You know, oh, it was yeah, people were so yeah. wonderful. and they were uh, really, really dear. but it was it was very, very, very hard for me to um, uh, not fulfill those commitments because that's just when I give my word, I give my word.
0: I hear what you're saying, yeah. how, how i'm I'm curious, you know, nine out of ten, I can understand you're probably deluged with invitations, but, uh, when you say you follow Jesus and you listen to His Word, I'm always curious how how do you discern that this is a yes? What is do you have a process? Is it a feeling? Is it what what is that like for you?
1: Um, you know, it's hard to describe, yeah, Carrie. So it can be. Uh, yeah. when I you know, when I when I get the invitation, and sometimes I can decide fairly quickly. Sometimes it takes a week or more sometimes longer, but I pray about it, and it's and there's just i can't describe it as a quickening in my spirit. Mm. sometimes mm. it's a word from from his word that confirms it but um and and some of them just go flat, you know it's just invitation, it's just cold, and I just feel like that's not something you would have for me um and I have to be careful because i I'm a shy, timid person and um and to get up on some of these platforms is terrifying to me. Mm. So there are times that I would want to say no in my flesh, <laughs> and um, and the Lord, you know, feel that quickening, sp- and, you know, this is something I have for you, and um, and so, and one of those this past year was in uh, February. I'll tell you what, the Lord, looking back, the Lord jammed my February, uh, one thing after another, and um, Janet Parshall had... Called and asked me if I would give the closing message at and our the National Religious Broadcasters, and she did that only like I think a month before. And so I don't know if somebody backed out on her, or she hadn't been able to fill that slot, or or maybe she's just so busy and whatever. But um, and and because it was Janet, I I didn't really even pray about it. I said I would do it, but I can tell you I was so terrified that um, and I've done it before. This may maybe the fourth or fifth time I've seen it. That is such um an impactful audience. That it was very scary, and uh, and then the Lord just quickens me. I, I probably feel scared to death until the time I stand on the podium, and as soon as I open my mouth, it's like the peace comes and the message is released, and I'm good. You uh, know, so um, so I so I just I don't know if that that's helpful. To that's anybody really helpful. Not, but just,
0: yeah, the fear's never really gone away, has it?
1: You no, know, no. Especially especially for some of these. um major things. Uh, on video, um, I don't have as much fear, for some reason, especially when it's taped. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I have the fallback. I can I'll use cut two cameras out, right? and maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, what's gotten me through the cancer and all that, just a strong sense of purpose. Hmm. Uh God gave me the verse of my husband went to heaven for me to live is Christ and to die as gain. And then the next verse says, But if I'm here, if I'm left here in the flesh then it means more fruitful labor for me, and um, and I feel like God has has me here for a purpose that I have fruitful labor to um, do for Him, and I don't want to miss a thing that He has for me. Uh, I want to go to heaven and have a an abundant entrance into His kingdom. So, um, so I, you know, I I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to. Um, mother told me that. God doesn't give you strength for things He hasn't called you to do. <laughs> so when I get a good really tired and feel like I can't do it, then I think, oh, my goodness, am I just overcommitted? Um, and it's not so much the big things. It's all the little the office things. Yeah, the know, administration
0: the that, that comes with all that. So you got a brand-new book. Uh, it's called The Light of His Presence, Prayers to Draw You Near to the Heart of God. And I think one of the surprises, you say— that prayer has been one of the great struggles of your Christian life. Um, can you talk about that? I, I've struggled with prayer. I always think, well, this is something I'm not particularly gifted in. I do it, but I never feel great about it. Talk about what, what, what's one of the great challenges with prayer in your life.
1: Well, there, um, and I, I can identify with what you've just said. Um, I've, there are three areas that have uh, constantly been a battle for me. Um, one is content, just what you say, yeah. you know, and um, and one is concentration. I can't tell you, and I think some of that is actually demonic. I think there's a spiritual warfare uh, when we go to set aside time to pray, and then we think about what we're going to wear this afternoon. We're thinking about what we're going to fix for supper tomorrow night. It's just, and maybe, I mean, your thoughts would be different, but <laughs> mm-hmm. no, they are going to have on your podcast next week. It's and, a good um, way
0: for me to create a to-do list is to pray. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, well, yeah. and some people say to take a pen and paper into your prayer time, you know, so that if things come to your mind, the Lord may be giving you some direction. But and the other thing is consistency. Yeah. The consistency has been greatly helped by this lockdown because I've I've never been more consistent in making time and and it's neat because I've had had the time to do it because I'm not running around so right. um, and I still have a schedule and I still have a lot of deadlines and things but um but the consistency has been wonderful the content um and I think I put this in the foreword of the book I'm not sure but but sometimes um to help me with content, I've written down my prayers, Mm. and I I write them out. um, And I think of David, you know, who wrote out his prayers. Where would we be if we didn't have the Psalms, you know? And even some of the prayers um, in the Old Testament, Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9, and um, Ezra's prayer in you know, Chapter 9 of Ezra and Our Lord's Prayer in John 17, which I've just parked in for the last couple of months. Um, and so so the written prayers can really help somebody with their concentration, with their content. Um, and so I've written down prayers. They weren't written to publish, Carrie. They were written, you know, to help me, <laughs> And, um, and then we've had, in our ministry, I had prayer initiatives in the past uh, that have been very well received. And so I took the some of my personal prayers and I used those in the prayer initiative. And then I added some more as I felt God burdened me. Um, it's interesting, one of the last prayers um, I wrote, actually, I did write for the book, but I told the editor, I can't write a prayer for a book. I have to pray a prayer and then record it, you know. But one of the last ones I did was for pers- the persecuted church, and uh, the Lord just put that so heavy on my heart. Uh, I pray continually for the believers in North Korea. For some reason, that's because my um, mother was born and raised in China. My aunt was a missionary to Korea for forty years, and I, and I just can't bear to think of the suffering of those people in the gulags. And um, so anyway, I put that. Uh, that was a prayer that I prayed. That then I recorded to tuck into this book. So. So, my my prayer for this book is that, in seeking to overcome the struggle that I've had in concentration and content by writing out my prayers, maybe my written prayers would help somebody else overcome their struggle in those same areas. And I'm not saying that my prayers are anything like David's or Ezra's or Nehemiah's or you know, but um, but it's the idea. That sometimes a written prayer and one of the volumes that I love. I don't know if you're familiar with Valley of Vision. Do You know that. Oh, I know of it, but
0: I've never read it. No.
1: Uh, well, you need to get it. It's one. It's a collection of Puritan prayers, oh, and wow. um, and they're just, uh, they're old timing, but very moving, and they've blessed me so much. And I thought, well, you know, maybe God would use prayers that I've prayed that come right out of my heart, sometimes with tears on my face. You know, um, maybe. These prayers would help somebody else. Just They can pray the prayers, but but the thought is that it would launch them into their yeah, own.
0: Yeah, it's a springboard, right? That's how I always see written prayers, as a springboard into your own. That's how I use the Lord's Prayer, as a springboard yeah. into, into thought. So writing down your prayers helps. What else helps you in your prayer life? Because I think it's a struggle a lot of people have.
1: Um, one of the things I do is um, I have a little put out a little volume called Daily Light. Are you familiar with that?
0: No, and, not
1: um, yet, no. Uh, well, it was put out in the 1700s by uh, Jonathan Baxter, and um, my grandmother gave my mother a copy when she was 10 oh, wow. in China. My mother gave me a copy when I was 10. I gave my children copies when they were 10, and then they weren't available anymore. I bought up every copy they had in England. It was just um, in England. And, um, and so when I signed with Word um jack countryman was one of the you know the gift book publisher and i asked him would he take this and and redo it and he said he would and so we put it in the new king james version and what it is is just scripture morning and evening so there's a theme verse at the top and then a compilation of verses it was put together by jonathan bagster his family at supper time this is before concordances before computers and they would come up with a theme, and then they would chime in the verses. It took them two weeks to confirm, you know, each morning or evening's readings. But um, but I can tell you that so many times God speaks to me through my daily light. Mm. And so I begin my prayer time reading my daily light. Um, and then if if the Lord seems to say something to me through it, then, then I just stop and I talk to Him about what I just read. And... Um, the one for this evening had a reminder in there that he's coming, you know. And mm-hmm. I just, that's a whole nother subject for a whole nother podcast, <laughs> but I believe his return is so soon. And, um, and so I was just talking to him about the treaty signing yesterday and where we are and uh, asking him to give me discernment to understand the times in which we're living. And um, so, so that has helped. Um, there are a couple of other um, devotionals that I'll, I'll read, and um, and then I I do what I've just told you. I, I take a portion of Scripture, and, and would you believe I've done this for so long? I've done the entire Bible, uh, from Genesis to Revelation, just one paragraph at a time, um, and so now I'm going back through, and I'm in Daniel, and I just happen to pick Daniel for whatever reason, but um, I just take a paragraph every morning and ask, what does it say? And I write it down. I have a little leather notebook that I just have a whole shelf of leather notebooks um, that I've filled in and just ask, what does it say? I list the facts in those few verses. And what do the facts mean? I try to draw a lesson from each one of the facts. And what do the lessons mean in my life? I put it in the form of a question to ask myself. And I just write that down. It helps with concentration, wow. helps with content, but, but also that I can talk to the Lord. But more often, He's talking to me because we think of prayer as telling god what we need what's on our shopping list what we you know want but prayer for me is drawing near to the heart of god i want to know what's on his heart i want to know what's on his mind i want him to give me understanding and wisdom and discernment that that and i, and I want that personal intimate relationship mm-hmm. with him so prayer is not just about getting answers prayer is about Developing that intimate relationship with Him, and and I think meaningful prayer has to has to involve His Word. So in some way, whatever is meaningful for you to to pull His Word into that, where He speaks to you through His Word, you speak to Him through prayer, and um, and it becomes a conversation. So uh, and then in the summertime, and now it's getting a little cool outside, but but I'll move the place where I have my time with the Lord. I do it, and then I have to wake myself up so I do my stretches and bands and all that and then I fix myself a strong cup of coffee and um and in the summertime I go outside and I just sit outside and but I have all my devotional things, my Bible, my notebook, pen, glasses in a bag that I carry so I don't have to go looking for them every morning. Um when the weather turns cooler, I go to a chair beside my fireplace. I turn on the fireplace and um but I meet the Lord in that way still with my bag of things. But um so, so those things have helped. And, and I think um, I don't really incorporate music, but I know I could. And, and sometimes if somebody sends me a meaningful worship song, then I'll listen to that in my prayer time. But, um, but I don't do that consistently.
0: Yeah, that, that's interesting. You know, as I've tried to rebuild my prayer life, there's a lot of similarities, journaling, uh, writing down prayers. I just started a new prayer thing. I saw my wife doing it. I'm like, oh, I should do something like that. And it's become much more interactive, much more based on God's word, rather than 30 minutes of me talking, right? That sounds familiar. And,
1: and t- I tell you the truth, I couldn't keep up a 30-minute monologue. Oh, I, just, I know. Not, so maybe that's why we struggle with prayer. Because <laughs> we're trying to force something that just, you know, shouldn't necessarily be.
0: Yeah. Talk about, because you mentioned this, the role of confession, And what does that play in your view in prayer?
1: A psalmist said that if I regard iniquity in my heart, God won't hear me. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, confession of sin is probably the one element that's missing from most of our prayers, isn't it? And um, and to be be honest, um, I can be so superficial that I don't think I have any sin. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes.
0: I'm familiar with that.
1: uh, Several years ago, I don't talk about this in the book, of course, but um but several years ago I was preparing to teach on revival and the Lord went silent on me and I was begging him to help me with these messages and then he just whispered, And I don't want to talk about the messages, I wanna talk about you. And I said, I don't want to talk about me. I want these messages done, then I'll talk about me. And and he just went silent again. And and I had to get on my knees, um, and say, all right, let's talk about me. And for seven days, Carrie, he just raked me over the coals. It was like an Isaiah six experience. And every time I opened my Bible, he was convicting me of another sin. Sin I had no idea was in my life. And I was getting ready to lead a seminar on revival. I'd been in ministry for for years. And, um, and there was just so much sin in my life. And finally, after seven days, he, um, Felt like he said, all right, he's through. And I just asked him, Lord, are you sure? you know I just um, and I, and I'll tell you this i have, I don't think I've shared, but um I asked for a recall. You know, I was so laid out, so um, stripped and emptied. I just didn't know that I could teach anymore or like Isaiah, you like, know like I'm I mean, finished, like victory.
0: please let me off the hook.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, and um how how can somebody when when Isaiah said, I'm a man of sinful, um, unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. He was saying he's no better than his audience. How could he be a prophet? How could he minister to them? And and that was my feeling. And then the Lord recalled me from Corinthians where he said, Ann, you're called into fellowship with my son. And I thought, bingo. You know, I'm not called into more ministry. I'm not called into doing stuff. I'm called into being... Um, in fellowship with Jesus. Hmm. And of course, from that flows ministry. So, And from that flows the speaking and the teaching and the writing. But, but the call is to fellowship with Jesus. Um, so, And I did put the thing that triggered that experience, which was uh, a brutal experience, but one I wouldn't take anything for because when he, when he cleansed me, and I had three days left to prepare the messages. The messages came, the power was there, the, and I felt like I'd had a bath on the inside, you know? Um, but it was triggered by an old-timey revivalist, um, uh, Dr. Finney, and he's long since dead. But I had a little book on revival that I was reading in preparation for teaching. And he had a list of sins in there that he said to read through three times, you know? And so I thought, well, to humor him, I'm gonna do that. and. First time, I felt so smug because I didn't see any of those sins in my life. Second time, I felt very spiritual because if I stretched it, I could see one or two of those sins in my life. Third time, I read it, Carrie. Every single sin on that list was in my life in one form or another. And I was laid out. So I put a list of sins in the back of the light of his presence, in the back of that book, and the editor took it out. And I said, you know something? I think it needs to be back in. And um, because I think people like me, they, they don't even know they have sin in their lives, you know? Can you give so us an example
0: of one or two of those sins that would be on the list, Finney's list, or at the back oh, of your book?
1: One, yeah, one that comes to mind is ingratitude. Mm-hmm. You know, just not thanking God. And it's interesting in Romans 1, that that's where that spiral down begins, where we don't acknowledge God as God and we don't thank Him, you know? And it's just what prayer is the answer for you that you haven't gone back to thank Him for. Yeah. And um, more like slander, you know, speaking the truth about somebody, but with the intent of making people think less of that person. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, everybody would know pride, you know, just yeah. uh, who do you think um, is beneath you? And um, Oh,
0: um, no, and, those are okay, good. I mean, if, uh, I've heard yeah. Keller ask, what are your besetting sins? What are the ones that, and they tend not to be, you know, well, they are in some cases addictions or whatever, but they're not. You know, we're really good at confessing other people's sins. We're not very good at confessing our own, and uh, I think it's often those invisible sins that are very visible and impacting your relationship with others. Pride, envy, jealousy, um, anger, ingratitude, all those things. Workaholism. You know, I've I've got lots of them.
1: That's right, and the and the ones that you mentioned are all listed in the back of the book. And I, I think if I remember right, I put a little definition next to each one.
0: So good. So good.
1: So, And if it helps, you know, and there's also another appendix in the back of the book on, um, um blessings. We were robbed one year and, um, uh, our house was broken into and they took things. And at night I was just going into shock because of, um, I thought they were going to come back. The, the police said they would, yeah. they would come back. Um, and, so I was terrified, and I thought, "What do I have that people can't take away?" And I thought, "My, they can come get my kids. My husband can uh, die of some illness, which he actually did. We, I, my house could burn to the ground. You know, you you can lose your reputation through gossip. And then it was just came to me um, the things that can never be taken away from me. And so I put the blessings um, into the alphabet, and I had just been in Ephesians chapters 1 and 2, so that you're accepted by God, you're beloved by God, you're chosen by God, you're delivered by God, you're enlightened, and just went through the alphabet like that. Um, and so I put that list of what I call the believer's birthright. You know, it's um, those are your blessings by right of birth into God's family. And I put those in the back also to just help people maybe with their praise and just to count their blessings when— um, so, you know, we can focus on circumstances that cause us to um, become down, depressed, despondent, complaining. But if you focus on your blessings, you know, uh, the joy comes and the gratitude and um, just that awareness of God's presence.
0: I love how you've gone back uh, not only millennia, but a few centuries too to Finney and to the Puritans and some others. So we'll link to all that in the show notes. And this has been a rich, rich time together. Anything else you want to share with us?
1: I don't think so. I just appreciate you're your very easy to talk with. And, um, and I just pray that uh, what we've talked about is meaningful. And, um, and I would just encourage people in this crazy world um, just to put your feet the feet of your faith firmly planted on God's Word. God's Word does not change. And... Um, and God loves you and God loves me, and He longs to have a personal relationship with us. Uh, and if I can just, can I just share? Yes. For a moment, because uh, it just occurs to me that there could be even people in ministry. I, I taught a Bible class for 12 years, I had 500 women in it. And anyway, and we turned over several times. So thousands of women came through my class. And what I found down in the southeastern part of the United States where I live is there are a lot of women who are born and raised in the church who've never established a personal relationship with God through faith mm-hmm. in Jesus. And I even had one woman who was a deacon in her church, in a Baptist church, um, who had never been born again. And I had the privilege of leading her to faith. And so I, so if there's somebody listening, Carrie, mm-hmm. who maybe maybe you're in ministry, maybe you're teaching Sunday school, maybe you're leading a Bible study, maybe you're in a prayer group, maybe, you know, I don't know who you are, but um, but you've never humbled yourself and come to the cross and confess that you're a sinner. Um, And for me, that's easy because I've listed some of my sins in the back of that book, but also Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So maybe the greatest sin is just not loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength for one moment and one day of your whole life. And there have been moments and days when I haven't loved the Lord like that. So I'm, it's easy for me to confess that I'm a sinner. And, uh, and you just confess you're a sinner. You tell God you're sorry for all the wrong things you've done and believe that Jesus died on the cross for you. If, if no one else needed a savior, you did. And you claim Jesus and his death as God's atoning sacrifice for your sin. And let me tell you something, there's no other sacrifice so there's no other way you can have your sins forgiven. You, you must come to the cross humbly, confessing your sin, claiming Jesus as your Savior, asking God to forgive you and cleanse you with His blood, and then open up your heart and um, believe Jesus has been raised from the dead, but will come into you in the person of the Holy Spirit. He will never leave you, never forsake you, but you must invite Him in. John 1.12 says, as many as receive Him, that's receiving from the outside the inside, then you become a child of God. And it's not anything anybody can do for you on your behalf. It's a decision you have to make. I made that decision, Carrie, when I was before nine, but I'd watched a picture of Jesus on television. And and I, I was convic- convicted, convinced that Jesus died for me. And I got down on my knees in my bedroom and told God I was sorry for my sin, I asked him to forgive me to come into my heart, and I didn't understand about the Holy Spirit then, but now I know, of course, Jesus came into my heart in the person of the Holy Spirit, and I knew I felt lighter. You know, I went down to tell my mother what I'd done, and I, I felt, um, I didn't even know I had a burden at that age, but but I felt lighter on the inside, and I fell in love with God's Word, and fell in love with Jesus, and um and he's never left me, never forsaken me. And he has a plan and purpose for my life that I pray I'll complete before I see him. But, but just for those who are listening, if there's somebody who uh, has never done that, because for, for me, um, God has no grandchildren. Just because I'm Billy Graham's daughter doesn't mean I'm a child of God. I had to make that decision for myself on my own. And, um, and so I just encourage you to examine your heart and life. If you can't remember a time when you have humbly come to God, confessed your sin, asked him to forgive you, come into your heart, then how do you know you have? Mm. You know, Don't assume right. that you're a Christian right. just because you listen to this podcast or you go to church or maybe you're a pastor. <laughs> you, you make sure that um, from God's perspective, you're his child because you put your faith in his son. and um, One mm. day we'll See you again, and we'll be together in heaven, and that will be a wonderful time.
0: (laughs) you want to lead us in prayer for that?
1: I would love to. Thank you. Okay. So, Father, we bow before you now with humble hearts, so grateful for your blessings, and the the predominant blessing that you've given us is Jesus. And I thank you for uh, the fact before the foundations of the world were laid that you I would come into existence, I would sin, I would need a Savior, and so you have sent Jesus just for me. And Lord, I pray for those who are listening, who are watching. I ask, please, if there is someone here listening that um, is not sure that they've ever been saved, they're not really sure you live inside of them in the person of the Holy Spirit. Maybe they've prayed, but they've lacked assurance. Um, And Lord, I I just ask right now that you'd quicken their hearts. Holy Spirit, would you just uh, convict them and draw them right now to the cross uh, and pray a simple prayer like this? Just, dear God, I confess I'm a sinner. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for all the wrong things I've done, but I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. So God, would you cleanse me with his blood, forgive me of all of my sin. And I believe Jesus rose up from the dead to give me eternal life, to open heaven for me. But I know that eternal life is a relationship with you right now, and that's what I want, as well as the hope of heaven. So would you come into my heart? Would you live within me in the person of the Holy Spirit? I receive you into myself, and I want to be your child. So I pray this in Jesus' name. And if you've prayed a prayer, something like that. Words aren't as important as your faith. And let me tell you something. If if you lack assurance, if you say, Ann, I've prayed that prayer many times, but I still lack assurance, then I question whether you've ever prayed it once by faith. Mm. So faith takes God at His word. Don't t- don't base it on what Anna said. God's word says if you confess your sin, he will forgive you. God's word says if you ask him to give you eternal life, he will give it to you. God's word says if you open up your heart and you invite Jesus to come inside, he will come inside. He will never leave you, never forsake you. So your faith is based on God's word. And then you just get on with your Christian life. Read your Bible, pray, develop that relationship with God. And uh, look forward to being with him forever in heaven.
0: And thank you. That is uh, That is a gift. And I know that there are going to be people who are greatly encouraged, whose lives are changed forever as a result of this conversation. And um, obviously, we'll link to everything in the show notes with your books, but if people want to find out more of what you're up to, what website could they go to or where can they it's find you?
1: Is my name, Ann Graham Lotz, and I put an E, and E, Graham, G-R-A-H-A-M, Lotz, mm. L-O-T-Z dot org.
0: Awesome. So
1: my name. Uh, and then we've got all sorts of free Bible studies on there, Carrie. We want to get people into God's Word, so they're there are books, of course, we have a store, but there are all sorts of free resources that um, pastors and people around the world access. So um, so it's a it's a niche ministry, but I'm very grateful for it, and God has used it uh, to draw people to himself through the Word. So I would love to have your anybody who's listening who wants more and wants to go deeper into God's Word, come come check us out at Angramlots.org.
0: Anne, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you, Carrie. God bless you.
0: Well, so grateful to hear from Ann today. And if you want transcripts, uh, we got them for you, as well as show notes with some key quotes and some insights from the episode. Uh, our team does a really good job putting those together every single week. So thank you to the team. You can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 374. You can find everything there absolutely for free. And uh, man, uh, I love the guest lineup that we've got coming up. Uh, Andy Stanley is uh, going to be back to kick off 2021 I'm so excited for that. We have John Gordon, Todd Wilson, Tom Rainer, Lisa Turkhurst, Beth Moore, uh, Bob Westfall, Kayla Stecklein, uh Patrick Lencioni, Rachel Cruz, so many more. And next time, it's Rich Valotis. Uh Rich has a brand new book on spiritual formation uh, a much needed subject and he has been part of a successful transition at New Life Church uh, that's now uh, 6 years in the running he took over from Pete Scazzaro, who is a previous guest on this podcast here's an excerpt from the next episode
1: I wave my particular banner um to see a particular issue addressed which is what drives much of uh, you know the church with regard to politics and such and so it becomes issue uh, generated, it, you know, we are we are formed by particular issues. Uh, that's being in the world for God, and we bring what we think is important to God. But to be in God for the world begins at a, a, a different place. It begins with our being with God, uh, out of which now we want to be a, a presence of God in the world
0: that's next time on the podcast. Uh, I only listen to the podcasts I subscribe to. So if you're enjoying this and you're like, you know what? I don't think I've subscribed. Hit the big old subscribe button now. And uh, well, then you're not going to miss it. We will automatically deliver it to you. Well, it's time for what I'm thinking about. And I'm thinking about a lot of things right now. Uh, you know, I don't know about your mind, but my mind as we wrap up 2020, and I know we got a few months to go, but you know, I'm already thinking about 2021. what What is that going to be like? And One thing we know is that uh, online church is here to stay, and I want to talk about moving beyond vanity metrics. So this is something pretty close to my heart. Uh, This episode, what I'm thinking about, is brought to you by ICM. If you haven't yet downloaded their free report about the benefits of how churches change things, you can go to icm.org forward slash transform communities. And if you are thinking about homeschooling or you're moving to that, go to Homeschool Magnet. Dot com and join the growing wait list to see the innovation that they're doing there. That's homeschoolmagnet.com. So I am thinking about um, how you measure online church. And let's be honest, it's really, really easy to get caught up in vanity metrics and algorithms and the whole deal. So I just wanna offer a few thoughts on that. And you know what? I, I just gotta say, I'm confession to start things off. I love big numbers, okay? I really, really do. Uh, there was a moment on this podcast three years ago where we were starting to see a quarter million downloads a month. And I was so excited. And then I started getting emails from our podcast provider going, well, we're actually going to change how we measure things. And I'm like, oh, good. Is it going to go up or down? And it's like, no, it's going to go down. And the bigger your podcast, uh, the lower your numbers are going to be. And I was pretty bummed about that because, you know, it took us years to get to a quarter million. And now they're telling me they're going to change how they measure. And what they did in podcast world is they went from, and think about this, think about your phone, okay? Okay. So they went from measuring number of times the podcast appears on a phone to the number of times it's listened to. So it's actually like listens rather than downloads. Because, you know, think about how many podcasts you have on your phone. I got a few where I subscribe, but I haven't listened to an episode. Well, in the old metrics, it used to count that, well, they downloaded it. Whether they listened to it or not, it counts as a, quote, download. Um, But then three years ago, they changed the system. And basically, it was like, okay, these are only listens. So my numbers almost overnight went in half, like got cut in half, went from a quarter million to just over a hundred thousand downloads a month. And I must say, I was pretty depressed. However, it gives you a much more accurate picture of what's actually happening. And you know, since that time, we've moved past a quarter million to three hundred thousand. We we even peaked out this year at over four hundred thousand downloads a month. But they're actual listens, like people actually press play on those episodes. So I would much rather have that because I would, you know, then I know, oh, people are listening, people are not listening, like gives you a real benchmark. And I think that's the bottom line is you need to find a benchmark when you're measuring church online. Now, um, the challenge when you're measuring any online activity is that the stats initially tend to be very generous, a little bit like the way podcasts used to be measured prior to 2017. And, um, you know, for example, if you click on an Instagram video, there was one I was looking at that had 5,700 views, which, you know, you're like, oh, that's pretty good. You know, not bad. And, uh, but if you click on the insights tab, you realize most of those 5,700 views, people only listen for three seconds. It's like, yeah. And by the end, like 3% of the audience was left. Well, the question is, what if that's happening to your online content? What if that's happening to your videos, your sermons, your streams, etc.? cetera? And um, that is a problem with vanity metrics. You can say, hey, I had 5,700 people watch this video when in reality, maybe 200 did, 300 did. Eh, And I know that's like, as leaders, we hate that stuff. I hate that stuff. But wouldn't you rather deal with reality? Wouldn't you rather just have honest numbers? Because then you know, okay, this is how many people we're working with and and we can go from there. I, I think back to the early days when I started in the original churches I served, you know, we had six people. There was no online. They didn't even have internet. And I mean, you know, you're looking around, you you can't, you can't tell people, yeah, there were sixty people there. It's like, no, if you walk in the building, there were there were six people. I remember one Sunday I preached to two people. Okay. And, you know, then it's like, well, that's our reality. Now we built that into a church by God's grace of over a thousand people who were attending, but you know, you do that one person at a time. So as hard as it is, vanity metrics are gonna let you down. Um, they make you feel more successful than you really are. And sometimes it can be more discouraging than it should be. But I think if you're counting total views the way Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube reports them as attenders, it's like counting people who drive by your building as attenders. Probably not a wise strategy, right? Look, someone else drove by our building. I I, I, guess, I guess we can count them. It's like, no, you wouldn't do that in real life. And um, the other problem is algorithms, right? So Uh, we're in control of our email list. But anytime you put something out of YouTube or Facebook or Instagram, it is now the case where they determine who sees what you don't. And hacking the algorithm is basically a cottage industry. People do this all the time. It's like, well, if you title it this way, and if you put this kind of thumbnail on it, and if people are watching for more than five seconds, then what happens is the algorithm kicks in, And suddenly Facebook suggests a video or YouTube suggests a video or Instagram shows it in more feeds. And then you've kind of tricked the algorithm. And I mean, hey, that's great. But I would be really, really careful about considering that to be growth. Because sometimes, you know, those people are on for a few seconds. They're not really bought in. And uh, it's, it's like what happens when you chart or Apple features you in the podcast section. So, that's great. Maybe you get a boost and all of a sudden, you know, your numbers are up 10% or 30% or 50% or they're double. But that is drive-by traffic, right? Like th- those those people are not subscribing. It's like how many times have you googled something and you're like, "Okay, I just want an answer to this." And you go to a website, you get the answer, and you leave. Well, you know, the person, think about the person who who put that website on, they're like, "Wow, it was a big traffic day today." Yeah. But you're not going back there again. Like you Googled an answer to the question. You got the answer. You're looking for the average rainfall of the Amazon basin or whatever. And now you're gone. You didn't subscribe. You didn't sign up. You don't even, honestly, you don't even remember the site that you visited. So on the one hand, as a content creator, you're like, wow, look at these numbers. On the other hand, as a content consumer or, or a person, you're like, yeah, I don't, I didn't even know I was there. I watched for like 10 minutes and I left. Um, So the real goal, the real goal is to turn viewers into engagers. I just think that spiking your church's numbers by hijacking the algorithm or using vanity metrics, it's like living on energy drinks. The boost lasts for a few hours, then you crash. You just can't build your future off three-second views. So one of the things I think you should do is just get a really sober metric. Maybe pick 10-minute views rather than three-second views or 15-second views. Just like, okay, if someone watched for 10 minutes... Uh, they're probably really engaged or track something like new subscribers, right? So you'll notice on this podcast, I'll always say, Hey, why don't you subscribe if you enjoyed this? Because I seriously, on my phone, I only listen really on a sustained basis to the podcasts I subscribe to. Now, when I get a subscriber, that means that's someone I can build a relationship with. And I hear from you guys all the time, right? I, I hear from you on social. I hear from you when I fly into cities and meet you, and you're like, Oh man, thanks for the podcast. And that's okay. See, that's a real connection. That's a real connection. And um, you know that also means that your numbers are a lot more stable. If the algorithm is doing things, you're gonna have a crazy big month and a crazy low month and a crazy big month. And what we've seen on this podcast is just steady growth over the years. And you know how you do that. You do that one person, one, leader at a time. So I know it's kind of like younger me would have been like, no, I love all the big numbers. And older me is kind of like, no, I really want to build relationships with leaders. And if that's what you're trying to do, then um, just take some more sober numbers and don't let the vanity metrics or algorithmic growth really kind of, you know, lead you into a false sense of, of success. Uh, it's back to that Stockdale <laughs> paradox that Jim Collins talks about, right? Uh, The best thing you can do as a leader is to name brutal reality and never lose hope. So, um, hey, I hope the algorithm does work in your favor, but I hope you turn a lot of those new views into actually, uh, if you're a Christian, faithful followers of Christ, if you're a business leader, you know, customers or that kind of thing, or if you're a podcaster, real subscribers. So, hope that helps. Hey, I send out a daily newsletter to over 75,000 leaders, and if you're interested, um, you can get it. You can get it by just texting the word "Carrie" my name, C-A-R-E-Y, to 33777. So appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in next time. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead
1: like never before.